Well, welcome to part two of our mini-series, the Elijah Chronicles. We should have a picture come up there very shortly. Now, way back in October, three months ago, we were doing a two, a quick two-part series uh, on two alternate Sundays. We got the first one done, all well and good, and then the following Sunday morning, I woke up and Mr. COVID had arrived. And so at 7 a.m. in the morning, I rung up and uh, spoke to a very blurry uh, Hugh Rorison on the phone, who in the state of, what am I going to do? Am I awake? Am I asleep? Uh, embraced the news and very heroically sorted everything out. So well done, Hugh, and all of those who had to sort that out. However, three months have passed, and we step back into finally part two of our mini-series. Now, we're considering some of the lessons from the life of this this most remarkable prophet, very colourful figure from the pages of the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. Now, we're not looking at everything Elijah did, but rather just exploring just two scenes from Elijah's life. Now, so far we've seen, if you can remember, that Elijah was heroic. Without question, he was heroic. Now, he was also a man of great humility. But today, as and I have to say this is very comforting in many ways, is to know that he's just like us. He is 100% human. And I identify with so much of what Elijah went through in this particular scene in his life. And it's wonderful, that's wonderful necessarily for him, but it's, it's wonderful to see that he was subjected to all of the weaknesses and to all of the frailties that we all struggle with. Now Elijah, this incredible hero of faith, he too suffered discouragement, despondency, and the topic which will flow through the balance of this message, depression. Now, as we shall see, there was one occasion, the occasion you just heard read, where he just couldn't shake it. And he found himself at a complete emotional impasse. Elijah was deeply depressed. But God does not leave Elijah there, nor is he willing to leave you or I in that place. So we're going to see how God will deal with this hurting, struggling servant and draw him back to a place where he can function well again. Now, before we explore, just a few things. This will not be an exhaustive treatment on the topic of depression. There are some aspects to depression where it can be very wise to involve your doctor and or a good counsellor. At least, at the very least, if you recognise that you are depressed, don't try and walk it all alone. Don't do that. Tell someone you trust. Don't be afraid to ask for help and support. Depression is a widespread condition that affects Christians and non-Christians alike. But depression is not a place we need to stay in. Rather, think of it as a, a season that we can pass through and heal from. Dr. William Backus, who's a clinical psychologist who also happens to be a Christian, encouragingly writes, While nearly all depressed people tell themselves that they will always feel devastated and down, virtually all recover. That is because recovery from depression is in fact the most likely outcome. 
speak the truth and say, even though I feel I have no hope, my recovery is assured. Thank God these feelings of depression won't last. End quote. And it is that truth and the hope of recovery that was behind the catchphrase of the depression awareness campaign that was fronted by rugby great John Kerwin a few years ago. Do you remember that? He still pops up on the TV screens from time to time. But the campaign's catchphrase was this. There is a way through. I um, went onto their website earlier this week, and that hasn't changed. That is still the key catchphrase that opens the website. There is a way through. And that is the truth. That is the truth that this portion of text would have us see, know, and understand. Very hard to grasp if you're right in the middle of a dark depression. I fully grasp that, and I think most people here would. But still, that's the truth, the key truth that this passage, I'm sure, was put in Scripture for us to understand. Thank you, God. So, bearing those things in mind, let's see how Elijah found his way through this season or his season of crushing emotional difficulty. Righto. The story so far, we have a three-month gap. Let's see if we can just... um, put the context back in place. For several years, Elijah has stood very strong amidst incredible odds and circumstances. Last message, we considered the great showdown, that great victory on Mount Carmel. And Elijah saw God work in a tremendously powerful and an awesome way, a powerful way. Yet straight after this, this, um, what's the word we would use, mountaintop experience, quite literally, but this time of great victory, and it was a real buzz, it was a real high. Here was God showing a nation that had become so distant from God who the true God was, and the king was there. Surely, thought Elijah, change is now upon us. Yet suddenly, at the end of this incredible experience, he crashes down into a deep discouragement and almost total despair. We pick up the story from 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Now this is immediately after the victory at Mount Carmel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Okay, let's just pause here for a moment and remind ourselves who we are talking about. Oh, well done. (laughs) Mopping of brow. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. We'll just move on to the next slide. Just a bit of a a portion of an Old Testament timeline for you. Now, there we go. On the right-hand side, uh, you can see uh, Elijah marked with an arrow. He appeared in a time in Israel... um, in the dividing of <laughs> the, the time of the divided kingdom of Israel. Let me quickly just run you through this. Um, at the start here, we have effectively the book of Joshua, which records the conquest of Canaan. Then we enter into 400 years where the leaders were called judges, where God raised certain men and women for certain times to lead and guide Israel through various times when they got themselves into strife. Now this led to the United Kingdom where the monarchy came. Saul the first king, David, King Par excellence, barring one 
one hiccup. And then that led on to Solomon, the golden age of Israel, the United Kingdom. Once Solomon had died, the tribes approached his son and said, would you please lighten the load that Solomon had put on us? But Solomon's son dealt with them very poorly, and this led to a civil breach and the splitting off of ten tribes to the northern kingdom, called Israel, and to the southern kingdom, two tribes, which was often just referred to as Judah. And it was to the northern kingdom, Israel, that God sent Elijah. Now, that portion up to where you see Elijah, some um, 50 to 60 years have passed, and seven really bad kings had ruled during this time. All of them had done an excellent job of leading the people away from serving the true God to serving false gods. Now, bad though they were, they were nothing in comparison to king number eight and his incredibly scary wife. Enter King Ahab, a man that the Bible describes in 1 Kings 16 as someone who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. King Ahab promoted the absolute worst of idol worship involving the most horrific practices, but he made it worse by marrying Jezebel, the daughter of a king from a neighboring kingdom, something that God had said Do not do this. Now, as time went on, it became evident that it was really Jezebel who ruled the northern kingdom. She ruled Ahab. She ruled Israel. And at her direction, Baal worship increased, and she systematically killed off all who followed Yahweh, the true God. Very, very scary times for the faithful few. So when Jezebel gets the news that all her prophets of Baal and Asherah had been defeated and executed, which is what we studied last time, her fury is unleashed. A fury that Ahab is either unable or unwilling to restrain. Because when Jezebel set her mind to anything, she always, always got her own way. We pick up the story, verse 2. Thanks. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She is, of course, referring to the dead prophets of Baal. In other words, I'm going to kill you. By this time tomorrow, your days are finished. This is classic intimidation. And from her past actions, she usually gets her own way. Now, from what we've learned of Elijah, the next thing that we would expect to read is that he would shrug his shoulders, he would call her bluff, and defiantly resist her threats. This has been Elijah's response up till this point, through every challenge that he faced. I mean, for for three years before this, God He had seen God work faithfully in his life and in many miraculous ways. And in the last incident, God has just revealed himself as the one true God in this this big, fiery showdown on Mount Carmel. But when this threat comes, Elijah is faced with the fact that despite it all, despite everything, one of the main sources of Israel's present problem is still unchanged 
and seeking even more destruction. Nothing seems to have changed, and now his life is most seriously in danger. And in that confusing moment, Elijah loses perspective and stops thinking clearly. (sighs) How many times during my life have I got caught in a set of circumstances that just seem to overwhelm me and it just sets up a state of panic. I certainly can lose perspective and lose thinking clearly, lose clear thinking very easily. And uh, maybe you yourself this morning can step into Elijah's shoes. Maybe you've had a time, uh, maybe you're in a time right now where everything is just a sea of crazy stuff and you just seem to be helplessly swimming in it. Stephen, some of the things you shared this morning, what the imagery from Lamentations was such a season. It's a tricky time. These are the seasons where we can be in grave danger of losing our perspective and our thinking. Our thinking can just become all confused, and that's when panic can set in. Now, if Elijah had been thinking clearly... If he'd been thinking realistically, he would have realized this. His good judgment, as well as his faith, would have provided maybe this type of self-talk. Just a minute, just a minute. God is in control here, not Jezebel. Elijah, come on, don't give a second thought to her threat. Trust God as you have always done. Now, Elijah could have done that. Elijah should have done that, but he didn't. Instead of responding by praying something maybe like this, Lord, I feel myself being drawn into this fearful thing. Please give me the strength. Please grant me the wisdom to deal with this situation head on. Unfortunately, he didn't. He did what I have done and maybe you have done. I so understand him. I I love this portion of the text, this portion of scripture, because Elijah reveals his humanity and his vulnerability. Elijah panicked and he ran for cover. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Can't say I blame him in light of the circumstances, my goodness me. And so our topic opens up. Now, before we go any further... As I was researching this text and doing all the due diligence that one has to do, one of the resources I discovered was a beaut. It was fantastic. And I read through it and I, I, I said to myself, and I was really encouraged, really blessed by the flow of the outline, the way that the writer had considered with great care, first of all the topic, but then the way he took the text and, uh, and flowed it through. And in the end, after exploring all other things and looking at my offerings, I thought, hmm, I'm going to use that outline. I'm going to draw from this resource freely, and I have done so. And I think before we get to the end, you will appreciate why I have done it. It is well thought through. It is easy to grasp. And it is, it's got so practical. So... I hope I can pass on to you the blessing that I had as I went through this study. I freely stand on the wisdom of someone else as I bring you the balance of this message. Okay, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, 
four things. How to get depressed in four easy steps. And we're going to help you just to keep on track with this. We'll bring these things up on screen. And uh, there we are. How to get depressed in four easy steps. So just to keep you thinking online here. Okay, we're picking up from verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he, while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Have you ever said that? I have had enough, Lord. Oh, enough is enough. I am sick of this. I don't care if I die tomorrow. I am absolutely over this. Ever said something like that? You are not alone. Trust me, you are not alone. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Okay, how to get depressed in four easy steps. Keep your eye on the screen. Lesson one, wear yourself out. Now remember for Elijah, over these previous few years, he's been on a fairly intense program, facing big situations, trusting, praying, and then another big thing comes along, and there's trusting, praying, pushing through, and then another one, praying, trusting, pushing through, and then this one, this one, and he runs for his life. And as to where he literally runs, actually, he couldn't have gone any further than he did. He ran right to the southern point of Israel, but he doesn't stop there. He says goodbye to his servant, who he leaves behind. He goes on another full day's journey into the desert. He went as far as he could south that he could possibly go until he has finally, totally and physically exhausted. And maybe that describes you. You wonder to yourself, why am I depressed? Well, maybe you've just worn yourself out. You've been doing far too much and you've been doing it for far too long. Some of you mums, you're working a full-time job, taking care of the house, transporting kids to a hundred different things, different activities. You're involved in interest groups, involved in the church. And, and, And you wonder why it's all starting to crash around you. Others of you, it's not necessarily physical exertion, but mental tiredness. I've got to be there for everyone, these sorts of things we say. I've got to be strong for everyone. I mean, whatever. I'm sure you can think of a hundred different sentences that would fill that, that gap. Either way, you're totally exhausted. You've worn yourself out. So the first lesson in depression. Wear yourself out. That will start the ball rolling nicely. Okay, step number two, how to get depressed. Here we go. Shut people out. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He abandoned his closest friend, his servants. He said, you stay here, I'm going on. And isn't that what we do sometimes? When we get all overwhelmed, we go all staunch and tough, we go all stoic. What doesn't kill me? It'll make me stronger. Those sort of comments. So we we push people away. I'm not going to tell people what I'm going through. If I did, they wouldn't understand anyway. And we start pushing people away. We put up a wall. No, no, I can deal with this all by myself. 
Okay. Well, if you'd like to engage in a, a good depression, then wear yourself out and start to shut people out. Number three, how to get depressed. Focus on the negative. Now, this is what Elijah does. He says, I've had enough. I am no better than my ancestors. In his mind, self-pity has taken over. Now, what self-pity does is it continually begins to rehearse again and again something that may not even be true, and our perceived misery will begin to get worse. It will compound. I'm never going to be any good. I'm always going to be stuck in this dead-end place. My life's never going to get any better, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's all focusing on the negative. It's all the bad things, never reflecting on the good things. So, if you'd like to get depressed really well, here's our growing recipe. Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Focus on the negative. And the fourth thing, how to get depressed. Number four, forget God. Think about this. All the things that Elijah had experienced God do, supernatural protection and provision, like birds feeding him, we haven't studied that. Uh, The widow's pantry never running out, we haven't studied that one either. Uh, Raising the dead, we didn't look at that one either. Um, The big uh, Mount Carmel showdown, that's the one we have looked at. Yet in this moment of panic, the dialogue changes. It's like, oh God, you're not going to come through for me. And once again, I can look at my own life with such clarity here and see the same thing. I can look back where God has provided so remarkably again and again. Clearly, God has been involved as far as I'm concerned. And then a moment of crisis occurs and and somehow I just begin to crumple. I'm Elijah. Weird. So if you're keen to get depressed... If you'd really like to have a good go at this, well, these four things are going to help you. Now, obviously, you reverse that. You understand that well. But anyway, how to get depressed in four easy steps. One last run through before we we turn it around. Uh, Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Focus on the negative. And just, just forget God. Forget about Jesus. Just forget. Right. Now, God is not going to leave Elijah in this place, and he doesn't want to leave us in this place either. He has a plan to bring him through. He has a plan for you and I also. And this is where we're going to spend the balance of the rest of this message. There is a way through depression. Okay, let's continue the story. But this time we're going to consider a different thing. Thanks very much. God's prescription for our depression as the text unfolds. Four things have led Elijah into depression. Four things are going to help him journey out of it. Now, we now have Elijah without any hope. He's hiding. He's alone. He's wanting to die. He's worn out. He's totally and utterly reached the end of himself. Watch closely now how God handles Elijah. This is the compassion and the mercy of God at its Best. And this is such a big lesson for how we should treat those who are struggling in this area. Let me repeat this. This is a big lesson for how we should treat those who are struggling in this area. 
God sent an angel into the situation to begin the process. But it's what the angel does not do that is the lesson. There is no sermon, there's no rebuke, there's no shaming. The angel doesn't appear in a blaze of frightening glory and scare Elijah half to death, um, saying things like, look at you, you you are so lazy, get up, where's your faith, quit acting like a baby. None of this type of speak, none of it. Nothing negative at all. Instead, this is what the... Uh, This is what God has the angel do. And he gently, the emphasis here is on the word gently, wakes Elijah up. First lesson, God says, eat and rest. Verse 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, Elijah. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Elijah, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. God is... It affects saying, take it easy, my son. Relax. You haven't had a good meal in a long time. So he caters a good meal and lets his tired servant rest. Exhaustion can make any of us emotional wrecks. Nothing surer. Fatigue can lead to crazy thinking and definitely deepen discouragement. So God gave Elijah the first thing he needed to heal, rest and refreshment. Now, for some of you here this morning, maybe, maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do is not go to another meeting, not even read another Bible verse. The most spiritual thing that you could do, maybe, is rest. Just rest. Now, I know how easy it is to push back against this. But I I, I say all these things, by the way. I've got this to do. This still has to be done. I've got to do that. You You know the sort of things that we say and why we say them. But given this lesson from Elijah, maybe God would say instead this. Look, it doesn't matter if the clothes are dirty for another day. It, it, It doesn't matter that the house isn't spotless. It doesn't matter if a few things get left undone. The best thing you can do is lighten up and take some rest and start eating properly. Sort out your sleep and diet. That will make a big difference. And it did in Elijah's case, because we read in verse 8, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, which is Mount Sinai. So the first thing to do to begin helping ease depression is get good rest and eat properly. How simple and practical is that? I think that's great. But sometimes when you're in the middle of these dark places, these disciplines can get very lost and you need to hear fresh to start to get some of these things back in line. Okay, the second thing. God replaces our wrong thinking with his truth. From verse 9, 
There, that's at Mount Sinai, he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let's get one point incredibly clear. God already knew what Elijah was doing there. But by asking Elijah a direct question, and he was getting Elijah to voice the problem, to get everything out that was in here and in here and out where it could be seen. Because once it's all out there, then it can be dealt with. And the things that Elijah may be believing that are wrong can be corrected. What are you doing here, Elijah, said God, verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. True. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. True. Broken down your altars. True. Put your prophets to death with the sword. True. I'm the only one left. Wrong. I've been doing all the work. Wrong. I'm the only one who cares. Wrong. I'm all alone. Wrong. Nobody understands. Wrong. As the story unfolds, and as you heard when the text was read, God is actually going to tell Elijah a little bit later on in the conversation, Elijah, truthfully, you are not alone. You are not the only one who is serving me here in Israel. There are 7,000 others besides you who still serve me and who are praying to me. Don't believe what you are telling yourself. You are quite wrong. You are not alone. There are many others who understand perfectly what you are going through. You are not alone. I wonder how God might take this and speak to us. I'm going to read to you from that study that I told you I drew from. This is how this particular study reworks this. Maybe we might say in the middle of our own depression, I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be like this. I'm all alone. No one understands. Maybe God might take that and say, that's actually not the whole truth. The 7,000 others. That is to say, you are surrounded by people who care about you. There are other brothers and sisters who have been right where you are and are ready and willing to care for you and support you. My Holy Spirit will comfort you. My word will guide you. What you believe is wrong. Remember the counsel of that clinical psychologist that I quoted at the start. Let me just take one sentence out. He says, touching on this point, because this is the exact point he was making, Speak the truth and say, even though I feel I have no hope, my recovery is assured. Thank God these feelings of depression won't last. End quote. Paul instructs us, doesn't he, in Second Corinthians 10, he says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God's prescription for our depression so far. God says to eat and rest. God replaces our wrong thinking with the truth of God. And next, number three, and this was originally when I was forming this message, this was going to be the the key focus. In fact, it was the working title of the then message. Uh, Point three, God's voice is clearer when we are quieter. Now, remember who Elijah's been used to dealing with. 
the God of fire, the God of miraculous provision. So he goes to the mountain, to, to Mount Sinai. I guess he picked this long journey to go back to the very place where God had revealed himself on Mount Sinai, given the law, and it was dramatic, it was powerful, it was inspiring. Maybe he thought, I will go there and maybe God can and will do something along the same lines. Get me all revved up and zapped up. But nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Powerful stuff, but Elijah got no sense of God. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. (laughs) Scary stuff, but still no sense of God's closeness. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Dramatic for sure, but nothing here met Elijah's spiritual hunger. None of those big Mount Sinai things meant a jot to Elijah when he was finally confronted with them. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now this was something quite different. Now, Elijah's heart was alert. And then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? A whole bottle of water. Thank you. We must look. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm going to cough. Sorry. I was trying to say you didn't. This is all very dramatic, isn't it? Okay, I think we're all ready to go. Yes. We must live in the most noisy generation generation ever, including PA systems and people coughing into them. We are surrounded by audible noise, uh, by visual noise, and by continual distraction and overstimulation, particularly with our cell phones and All our electronic media, it's quite something. The pace of our living is full on. Finding a place of genuine quietness is very hard to do, and yet it is desperately, desperately needed by every single one of us. For Elijah, all these noisy things that God did, he let occur, he didn't find any comfort in any of them. But when he was still, when he was waiting expectantly, Then he was able to hear the voice of God gently and quietly speak. Now in the most famous psalm, Psalm 23, David is grateful that he leads his life as a shepherd does. You'd be so familiar with Psalm 23. But he's especially thankful because he was led beside still waters. Do you remember these words from Psalm 23? He was led beside still waters and that it is here that his soul is restored. It is in the peaceful place where we regularly take time to still ourselves and seek God that it's there that he's often heard the best. When we will deliberately still ourselves in a quiet place and give our minds and hearts time to be still, time to unwind and relax, often it is there that we are able to respond most 
favorably to the voice of God. And we can reflect correctly on his promises and his word. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am here. I am with you. My peace I give you. Be still and know that I am God. The gentle voice of God. In overcoming our depression, sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is rest. Other times we have to challenge our wrong thinking and replace it with the truth of God. To know deeper refreshment from God, we will find that easier when we are intentional about stilling our busy routines and seek him and enjoy him. Number four, last one, to overcome depression, God gives us something to do. Look at verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu son of Nimshi over Israel and anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. In other words, <clears throat> he says to Elijah, Elijah, I want you to get up and I want you to go back doing what prophets do. And what that message is for us, maybe we could word this way. If we're still alive, if we are still breathing, we're not done with. If we're still breathing, there are things that God will have for us to do that he has designed for us to do. For Elijah... God still wanted him to be a prophet. So he put him back on the track of doing what prophets do. Now we could all object quickly and easily, of course. Well, I'm not a prophet, doesn't apply here. Well, what are you? What has God made you do well? Where are your passions? Where are your giftings? Where are the things that bring you joy? Start doing it again. Are you a mum? Go back to doing the things that mums do. Now, maybe you aren't up to doing all of the things straight away. I mean, that depression really has brought you to a halt, and it can bring you to a halt. Don't go for broke. Start small. Take a simple task, finish that simple task, and give yourself a pat on the back. Well done. Start small. Little by little, piece by piece, you will watch your confidence grow. Do you have the gift of serving? Go back and serve someone. Start small though. Let it grow. Just gently begin to start life again. For Elijah, go back to doing what prophets do. And for us, let's start re-engaging in the things that we are wired up to do. Start small and keep going. Yes, you may have a couple of setbacks, but keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. Little by little, you will regain your life. As we close, just let me remind you what I said at the beginning. 
There are some aspects to depression where it can be very wise to involve your doctor and or a good counsellor. At the very least, if you recognise you are depressed, don't try and walk it alone. Tell someone you trust. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for support. Depression is a widespread condition that affects Christians and non-Christians alike. But depression is not a place where we need to stay. Rather, it is a season that we can pass through and heal from. So these lessons again from the screen, from Elijah in overcoming depression, these awful, dark moments. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is rest. Get good rest and eat properly. Other times we have to challenge our wrong thinking and replace it with the truth of God. To know deeper refreshment from God, we will find that easier if we are intentional about stilling our lives Uh, stilling those busy routines so that we can seek him and enjoy him, let me add. And in the end, God wants to help us to engage back in life again. He wants us to get on with doing what he has made us to do. Be prepared to start small, but watch as your confidence begins to grow and life begins to happen again. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the encouragement that there is a way through this difficult problem. Lord, may your comfort be given to any today who are here and are feeling the distress of this this dark thing, depression. May your comfort and healing begin to do your work in their lives. Restore them, we pray, to a good place and good health. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.